You are listening to the Invitation Church podcast. To learn more about Invitation Church, visit us online at invitation605.com. You can also download our app on iTunes and Google Play by searching for Invitation 605. Well, welcome to the Invitation Church podcast. Uh, if you have found this feed, you're probably waiting for a sermon, but you're not going to get a sermon today. Uh, today, I am sitting with my friend Bruce Bloomer. He is the executive director of Haiti Alive, and we just want to have a conversation um, about a little bit about his life, but also um, about the ministry uh, that he runs. So, Bruce, thanks for hanging out with us today. Yeah, good morning. Good to be with you. Hey, wondering if you would just kind of kick us off just by talking, you know, a little bit about your background and your family, organizations that you've been a part of, and just let people get to know you a little bit. Yeah, it sounds good. Well, I'm a product of the Dakotas. Um, I'm a preacher's kid, so just a wonderful person like like Dave is. Um, and so grew up in South Dakota, uh, lived across a couple different places, went to the University of South Dakota, met a woman named Sharon. We got married, had a couple of boys, um, have lived around eastern South Dakota, um, I kind of have two careers. I started in education. I was an elementary, middle school teacher and principal. Worked at a couple universities, and then the second half of my my life career career life was really foundation and fundraising. I worked with the Dakotas United Methodist Foundation, so worked with churches across North Dakota and South Dakota. Did some work with the University of Sioux Falls and a couple other organizations. So kind of those are kind of my two mm-hmm. main career paths. Um, I've always kind of been interested and in, involved in organizations that are helping organizations. Uh, when we lived in Mitchell, I was part of Habitat for Humanity there, kind of got that off the ground. Uh, we, I was part of the Mitchell Area Safe House, which is a abuse shelter for women, was on that board for a number of years. Uh, and then here I've been in the community outreach in Sioux Falls, which is a kind of a helping ministry. Um, I'm currently on the board of uh, Kids Against Hunger, and so always interested in kind of those helping things. And then mm-hmm. um, my main... I guess organization is Haiti Alive, and then we'll talk yeah. about that. But um, those are kind of the, my uh, kind of a quick summary of my background and, yeah. and where I've been. Yeah, it's awesome. Well, talk to us a little bit about Haiti. How did you get connected with people in Haiti? I know it's a huge part of your heart and your day to day. So tell us about that. So in 2003, the pastor of the church that we were attending asked if I wanted to go on a mission trip to Haiti. And I thought, well, that'd be kind of an adventure. And and our church at, was very involved, had been sending teams pretty regularly to Haiti. A lot of people in church were supportive. And so I went to the north part of Haiti, which is the area called Cap Haitian. It's the second largest city. And um, the second trip I took was in 2008. And my wife said when I came back from that trip that I was very different. Well, my second trip was to this island of Laganov. And so kind of about 50 miles northwest of Port-au-Prince is this island in the ocean called Laganov. It's a 40 by 10 mile island. Um, so it's a little bit difficult to get there. Um, but when I get there, I kind of feel like I'm home. Mm-hmm. And so we just got connected to um, to that area, and that's you know where we've continued to work. In 2008, we met this young man named William. Uh, he was an orphan. He was living with his uncle, who was a pastor. He lost his he never he really didn't know his dad, but he lost his mom. Her mom died when he was about 12. Mm-hmm. Sisters were sent to one place on the main island. He was sent to this island of Laganov to live with a pastor. Um, but there were some missionaries working on the island. They got to know William, and they said, here's a young man that wants to become a doctor. Can you help them? And so we had a really great project in 2008. We were working on a church, and 
And I can really remember very distinctly for, you know, standing in the middle of the church praying for a way, and we came back to our church and said, hey, would you support William to start medical school? And the church was great. They responded. He started medical school in 2009 uh, in Port-au-Prince, and then we were there in 2010 during the big earthquake. Yeah. And so William was with us, and I tell the story a lot, but you know, if he would have been where he should have been at medical school, he probably would be gone because wow. his medical school collapsed. Many of his professors and fellow students were killed. So we were on this island of Laganov. We didn't have all the death and destruction that they did in Port-au-Prince, but it was it was a tough time. It was a hard time to get home. It was a I was to say a traumatic experience for me. Um, and that kind of sealed the deal that I needed to do something. Um, in 2011, then, I went back to Laganov by myself, and I went to these villages, and I interviewed pastors and women's groups and elderly, and just anybody would talk to me, frankly. And I just said, if we could help, what do you need? Mm-hmm. And it was very clear from the pe- people. They needed support in education, health care, and supporting women, children, and the elderly. And so we, we just kind of came back very casually to our church and said, hey, can you help with some school scholarships? And so people would give some money for scholarships. Or we continued then, the other part of that story is William's medical school collapsed. So he had this idea of going to the Dominican Republic to start medical school, where he had no place to live, oh. he didn't you know, they wouldn't accept any of his credits from the, you know, Port-au-Prince Medical School. And oh, by the way, you get to learn a new language because <laughs> they speak Spanish in the Dominican. So you can imagine starting medical school and learning a new language. So he's an amazing young man. Yeah. Um, so he, so we started supporting him in medical school, provide money for tuition and books for his living expenses. So we just kind of chipped away. And and then in 2013, the pastor of the church said, you know, this is getting too big for us as a church, and so we'd like you to set up a separate nonprofit. And so in 2013, we went through the process of becoming a separate 501c3. Um, at that time, it was called Laganov Alive. We, I really wanted people to know about this island of yeah. Laganov. Um, but what I found over the years, and it took me 10 years to realize this, but <laughs> I'm a slow learner but what i came to realize is that people in the united states don't they don't have a connection to laganov and so if you hear the word laganov alive you're like well what is a laganov you know most people can't spell it or say it or whatever so we rebranded a couple about a year and a half ago to haiti alive and it was really just so people could recognize it's a ministry that works in Haiti. Mm-hmm. We haven't changed our mission. We still work with education and healthcare, supporting women, children, the elderly. It's really the same thing as we did is rebranded, renamed it. So people here would understand, oh, it's Haiti. We're supporting the people of Haiti. Um, and so then it's just grown. I mean, honestly, it's just grown um, very kind of step-by-step, person-by-person as we found need. But we have really stayed true to those core areas. We just... There's so many ways to help in this world. Mm-hmm. Um, water projects are incredibly important. You know, agriculture incredibly important. Lots of things, orphanages, but we just can't do those. We, mm-hmm. We're going to we're going to be staying dedicated to education, healthcare, and supporting women, children, and the elderly. Yeah, there's probably some people who are listening to this who have heard about Haiti. They've heard about you know the political conversations that right. have been going on for a long time, even within the United States, about what does it mean to help? What does it mean to support? What are the dynamics, you know, of Haiti? I think there's a lot of things people have probably heard from reading something online, um, but don't have an actual experience, feet on the ground in the dirt. 
Um, wondering if you could just talk about some of the dynamics in Haiti, both socially, politically, just so that we could have an understanding, you know, of what some of those, what those things are, what life is like there and kind of um, why Haiti does often come up in a conversation about needs in the world. You know, I was, I was thinking about that and, and we have poverty in the United States mm -hmm. and we have poverty in Haiti, but they are different. And I don't think most people in the United States understand the difference in the poverty how i could how i would characterize it is it's in the united states it's an inconvenience in haiti it's starvation hmm. so in the united states it's inconvenient to have to get food stamps or to go to a feeding program or to wait in line for a food giveaway or all those things i'm, I'm not saying that poverty doesn't exist i'm not saying that um Food insecurity doesn't exist here, but we have a lot of resources here. So it's an inconvenience for those people. Sometimes it's difficult for those people, but food's available there. In Haiti, there none of those programs exist. There yeah. isn't. There aren't feeding programs. Um, most people, many people, don't eat every day or eat once a day. Um, many people there are on the brink of starvation. It's a different kind of poverty, and so. Um, we have people here that that I, and I, I hope we care for the you know everybody in the world, but it is a different level of poverty there. Yeah, and so the other part of it is the political instability that's happened in that country. Um, they've just had a, a. I mean, at one time Haiti was the wealthiest country in the Caribbean. Hmm. They had they were selling sugarcane that they sold rum. There was it was the they call it the pearl of the Caribbean, hmm. and then uh, there was a series of really poor leaders who would just and then they kind of went through this pattern of the leader would go in they would kill all their opponents yeah. and when they're done they would take the money and go to another country and that 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 repeated itself over and over currently they are really in a difficult spot um the president was assassinated a couple of years ago. There's a prime minister that's leading the country who is not elected. And so the people, and he won't hold elections. And so the people of Haiti are very angry about that. They don't yeah. like him. They feel like he's an unelected official. And so there's lots of protests. The other thing that's happened is the core center of Haiti, of Port-au-Prince, which is the largest city, several million people, is largely controlled by police. But the perimeter of Port-au-Prince is controlled by gangs. And so if you come in from the West, you have to pay a one mm. gang. If you come from the North, you pay a different gang. And they're doing a lot of yucky things, like kidnapping people and holding them for ransom. There, there's a lot of uh, conversation about drug trade going through them so they can trade guns for drugs. Yeah. Um, there's just a lot of really difficult things. And what gets left in the wake of that is there's hungry people who now have food prices that have gone up. Mm. They have very limited access. There's in, in Laganov, again, remember it's an island, and so the closest place there's about 15 miles across, and they used to run a ferry, a large ferry, a boat with you know, probably 150, 200 people. They would run this ferry back and forth two or three times a day. It hasn't run for a year. Wow. And because the port that they go to is controlled by a gang, and so it's not safe for them to go there. So if they want to get medical care, they have to pay a gang. If 
they want to bring f- items to sell or to or, you know to bring back to the island to sell like rice or you know gas or whatever they have to pay a gang to go through their area and so everything's just become expensive and more difficult and so mm-hmm. I think part of the problem with Haiti um, is it's a little bit cry wolf like it's it's mm-hmm. always been there's always been some turmoil there. There are an incredible number of, of you know nonprofits that work in Haiti, but right now most international staff have pulled their staff from Haiti, mm. and because it's not safe for them, and so a lot of the nonprofits that are working there have pulled their their staff, um, and so it's it's just it is really a difficult time right now, more so than any time that I've ever been connected to Haiti. Um, I was there on a recent trip to there and I, and we can kind of talk about that if we want, but um, it's, once we get to the island of Laganov, I feel like it's safe. They're, they're actively protecting the island from gangs. Um, it's, it's a, our ministry's going well there. It's just, you can't get there yeah. and we can't bring teams there. And we, it's not really safe all the time for even Dr. William or the other people that work with our ministry because they're known as people who might have money. Mm-hmm. And so they're more susceptible to kidnapping and other you know, things like that. So it, it is probably the most difficult time that I've seen. And, uh, um, and I think we've, we've sort of become immune to it a little bit. It's sort of like Mm -hmm. we continue to kind of like Haiti, 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 and it doesn't feel like it gets better. Um, And so some people have kind of thrown their hands up. Um, But what I would say in the end is there's still people there that have need. There's still people that we love and care for who have great need, and we have, I believe, we have a responsibility to continue to try to connect and help those people in the small ways that we can. Yeah. 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 Something that as you were talking that I was thinking about, you know, is what the response has been from some other countries with resources. I mean, we see that, you know, you turn on the right. news, you open Twitter or whatever, and right. it's like, oh, here's sort of the next frontier of what this country is doing. I mean, what, what's been at least some of your understanding around the the relationship that Haiti has had, you know, whether it be the United States or right. be Canada, um, France. I mean, some of that could you? Yeah, it's a difficult relationship. Um, there has been, I would say, Haiti and the United States have a little bit of a checkered relationship. Um, there has been times where the United States have helped, tried to help the country, and in the end, have kind of hurt the country. Like mm-hmm. they would. One of the examples was they brought in tons of rice to help to feed the people. Well, that what that did was put the local rice farmers out out of business. Mm-hmm. Um, they've had some examples like that where they they're sort of in you know haven't really been as careful about how they were helping. Um, same with the United, States, United Nations. The United Nations was there for a while. Then some, some, they had some problems, and so the United Nations it was asked to leave the country. Um, there is conversation right now about a police force from Kenya coming, which is hmm. interesting. Um, but they're, they're planning to send a, a police force from Kenya that the, comp- the country would pay to kind of get their police um, back in shape and you know really to pr- put a more safe presence in the in the country when i was there the last trip william told me that 3000 police officers left or quit this last year wow. 3000 well that you know, doesn't help the country you know and so they've had kind of a checkered relationship with some other countries i think it's it's one of the things is they they don't want outside help even though they need outside help mm. and so um so it's been hard. It's been, um, but the United States has been very generous. Um, Canada has been very generous. 
Um, there is some money that's on, I understand, that's on its way to Haiti if they can get the, the Kenyan police force there to help okay. them su- with supplies and some things like that. And so it's, um, you know, there have... I guess just kind of a, an interesting history with other countries. That, um, and I, in the one way that the people express their anger is through protesting. And so, yeah. and so, it, especially in Port-au-Prince, um, it's a pop-up protest. <laughs> it would be kind of like you never <laughs> quite know. I mean, just sure. some, there's there's something that happens. It's an anniversary of something, or there, you know, the gas prices go up, and then. It's major protest streets are taken over and things like that. So um, it's it's a difficult relationship. I don't know that I fully understand all the all the yes, relationship with every sure. with everyone, but I think it's two things. They've really tried to be um, a democratic country. They've really tried to hold elections and things like that. Um, but it's they've really had some internal governmental issues mm. that are that are that are tough uh, one of the one of the things that was there, there last time I, w- I was asking William about taxation so like yeah. here in the United States we tax everything I mean yeah. everything we pay a tax on so most of the goods in Haiti are person to person I'm on the street you come mm. up and buy mangoes from me and you and I have a exchange of dollars well the government's not getting that money mm. and I said well what about why you know we pay taxes on hotels and some yeah. things like things that we as as you know when we come to the country pay it, which is understandable. We should pay tax. Yeah, but most of the exchange happens person to person. So you come and you buy some you know gas for your motorcycle. That's an exchange between you and that person. The government's not getting any tax money. So I said, well, they really need to collect tax money. And they said, well, we would never send it to the government because they would just use it. But yet they want the government to help them. And I said, mm. well, how do how do you expect the government to help you? If there's no funding source for them, yeah, um, and so it's I don't know it's a complicated thing and how they would collect taxes I'm not sure but there's such a mistrust of the government even if they collect taxes they wouldn't send it to the government hmm. and then the government doesn't have resources to turn around and provide roads or provide police force or fire or whatever those ambulance all those kinds of you know food basic services because they don't have a consistent funding source. Yeah, wow. I don't know. It's complicated. Yeah. No, that's I think it's helpful though because I think, you know, you there's a list of countries that you hear a lot about and then it's very easy those countries get a reputation because right. there's a story, there's a narrative, you know, behind it. And so I think it's really really helpful, you know, as our church really does seek to support what's going on in Haiti through Haiti Alive, but even for us to understand what are some of the dynamics right. that exist underneath, you know, all of that. And so I think that's that's really helpful. Uh, I want to talk about your trip. But before we talk about the trip, yeah. I'd love to hear just a little bit, you know, about we've talked about some of the, the challenges that exist there. Yeah. Like, what do you see, like, within the people, because beautiful people who, right. who live there, who are resilient and creative and, you know, all of that. Can you kind of talk about, you know, kind of what you see as, you know, some strengths um, every, every time you go? I mean, you always right. come back with stories yeah. um, of just how beautiful the people are there and people who live in a really difficult place, 
um, but also live with courage. Yeah, and, and so I'm glad you brought that up because I, I think I was thinking to myself, you know, it's it's not all negative. I mean, yeah. when I whenever I go there, I mean, they're just they're really wonderful people. Um, they they're they're very interested in our life. Many of them speak English or want to speak English. They they speak Haitian Creole. It's kind of a French based mm-hmm. language, and that I don't speak well enough. Um, but they're they they're really curious about your life um they want to know more about that they're very funny they love teasing each other that's i mean teasing is part of it and part of not knowing the language well is that you miss some of those kind of like when they're they're teasing people and whatever um it's a it's a competitive society Hmm. um and i think that stems from their lack of resources and so you know you know it's it's a very they're very competitive um the other thing i find interesting is like like let's just say you're playing soccer with the kids and you fall down and you have dust on your pants they will come up and brush all the dust off Mm. i mean the kids and the people always dressed really well um in a place where you know they can't eat but they're dressed very well and they we go to church i mean the men are in suits the women are in dresses you know Mm. we're always the mutts in church (laughs) if you kind of feel like uh, we should bring better clothes when we go but um and and what I've found more than anything is they just really care for each other. Mm. Um, when I will give, very often I'll hand a um, granola bar to a kid. If I was hungry, that granola bar would be gone. Most kids share it with several others. Mm. I was just down this last time and I gave this little girl a, a granola bar that I had and she ate part, she gave a bite to her dad and she put it in her pocket. I said, what are you doing? She says, I'm gonna save the rest for, for my mom. Mm. You know, and that's, I mean, I mean, giving candy out, every kid that I've ever given something like that to shares it first. Wow. And I, if I'm hungry and I think about the United States, there's no way. Yeah. That would have been eaten and gone, many, you know, <laughs> before that. Um, one of the things that, and I've talked to a couple other leaders of, of some other Haiti organizations in the area, and the, one of the strengths of this mess that's happening in Haiti is we've really had to develop better local leadership. So Dr. William is responsible for for our ministry in Haiti. Um, we have held him accountable. We have a board. Um, we, um, we have an accountant because I want to make sure that the money is cared for well. Uh, we get reports on that. We're, we're in conversation daily about, about things that happen on the island. But he has really stepped up as becoming a very strong leader. And our whole board in Haiti, and we have a board here in the United States that Dave is a part of, um, but we also have a board in Haiti, and we've made them more accountable. Hmm. And isn't that kind of the goal, to have ownership of their own future? Um, What we're providing is trying to get them some resources Maybe this is a little aside, but we've we've had some building projects. We've you know we've built fifty five homes, fifty six homes in in a women's village. We have a school. Ninety nine percent of that work was done by local Haitians because our goal is let's pay people who can learn a skill, but also that that they can have an income to feed their own families. It doesn't help us for us to send a team down and build everything. And then they're just watching from the sidelines. That doesn't help anybody. Um, providing the resources so they can learn a skill and receive funding yeah. is really, you know, is really a good thing. So I, I guess in, the, in a long way, I've just uh, I think the benefit that's happened of, of our not being able to travel there regularly and some some of the difficulties is we've developed really strong local leaders, and that's going to carry on beyond when things get more settled and and it's safer to be in the country. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Yeah, I think it's helpful. 
again, that just like fills out the picture, you know, for right. Haiti. You were just there. Yeah, I was. So what do you want to say about your experience there? I mean, you've shared a little bit about it so far, but I mean, it had been several years. Yeah, it'd been over two years since I'd been there physically. Um, I we the last team that we brought was in 2020 um one other board member and i went in 21 and so it's been three years since we've been there and so it's um it it's just a hard place to travel to and i've been talking with some other international people and everybody's kind of kind of eking back a little bit um i don't think it's safe to bring teams right now uh, when i i came i flew into haiti um at the end of january we flew into the capital of port-au-prince like i said the center of the city is pretty well controlled by police but i was actually in a van with three heavily armed men um, automatic weapons to go to kind of the south part of port-au-prince to a police station from that police station we got in an armored vehicle with armed guards because we had to drive through a gang territory to go to the mm -hmm. boat area, the port area. And so we, when we were coming back, we actually heard gunfire and automatic weapon fire. And I'm like, hey, what's that all about? And and uh, William said, well, there's a couple gangs that are fighting for area control of a certain part of the port. So then we had to get on a boat, a 20-foot uh, speedboat, uh, that we went about 50 miles on the ocean to get to Laganov. And it was a brutal trip. We got out into the ocean and, and the waves were really high the day we got there. And it was a really hard trip. I mean, I haven't been bounced around like that in a long time. But it was pretty, in fact, um, still pretty sore from that, even yeah. a couple of weeks later. Um, it just, we just got bounced all over the place. And so that was hard. And so in, in past, there was a small airplane that flew from Port-au-Prince to the island of Laganov. About a year and a half or so ago, they pulled because pulled their flights out of Haiti because it wasn't safe for them. And I just said to William, "We I can't come back until that plane comes because it's just this is too hard a way to get to get there, and mm -hmm. really a, not a very safe way to get there." Because then when it came back, there was conversations about protests. Um, and so we kind of took a back road through Port-au-Prince. So I was in the armored vehicle again, then the van, but um, it's those pop-up protests. You just right. don't know anything about. Yeah. And so we kind of took back roads to get to the airport. Well, literally two days later, another team from another mission organization was there for four extra days because the port protests had broken out in Port-au-Prince. They couldn't, they couldn't get out of their, uh, they couldn't get out of their airport because the airport closed because of the protests. And so, mm. you know, it's just those like, unknown things and so right. before i would feel safe that we could bring a team there we'd fly into port-au-prince and fly that small plane to Laganov, um, but we can't do that until the plane returns and mm -hmm. so um but once i got to the island um things are really going well we have a we have a two-level school. Um, it's grades kindergarten through ninth grade. Uh, we feed the kids every day. We have school sponsors that provide uh, uniforms and food for them. We had a clinic attached to the school, and we made the decision because we have so many kids that we're, we closed the clinic and made that a, a preschool and kindergarten. So we're getting a lot of kids for that. So we have a, a K through nine school, and that's the end. We don't we would we don't have a secondary school. We don't have the funds for that. Um, but the school is really doing well we just we have about 200 over well over 200 kids mm. um we have a you know we have a computer lab we have a cistern that's collecting water for the kids who have clean water um it's it's going well we have a bus that runs down the main street um and getting a bus from florida over on a boat to the island is a whole like <laughs> yeah. like day story in and of itself but but we but we have kids that live several miles from the school and so we kind of yeah. run the boat the, the boat the bus down the main road and they hop on our biggest new project is we have a women's village um it's always kind of in my heart about 
we we need to provide safe places for women. They really truly have the vast response, most responsibility for their kids. Um, my line is that men do a pretty good job of creating children. They don't always do a very good mm-hmm. job of supporting them. And so um, we had a very generous donor who bought a, a parcel of land, and then we began building homes there. And the homes are really, really wonderful. They're, they're, there's a porch area. There's a living room. They actually have indoor toilet and indoor water, which is unheard of in Haiti. Yeah. They have two bedrooms. Um, and we have 56 homes now that are built. We have capacity for 64 homes. And I was that was probably the most fun part of the trip. I hadn't seen any yeah. of it. I had, you know, everywhere I walked, I had 12 or 15 kids <laughs> hanging on me and uh, pulling on yeah. me. And, and we did a food distribution to the elderly. We did some uh, food giveaway to the women in the village. But just to see the community that had developed there. Um, one of the great decisions that William made was to put in solar nightlights because it gets dark there mm-hmm. early. And so the nightlights are the gathering places. And so we're, mm-hmm. we're the women gather and it's where the kids gather and they're hanging out and talking and playing games. And it was just such a fun community. It's awesome. Um, one night we got together and we just talked about their responsibilities, you know, mm-hmm. like, Hey, you have a responsibility to care for your home to be good community members, to live with each other in harmony. Um, because at some point, if you meet this these requirements, this is going to become your home, and you're going to have an asset for your for your future. And, well, a woman st- stood up and she just said, I feel like I'm in the United States. I, I'm living in a mansion. Hmm. Well, we have cars that are bigger than some of the homes that these people are living in. But yet she felt like she was living in a mansion. And so just the, the gratitude of the women – um, they were living in unsafe, deplorable conditions, and now they're in a gated community, so they're yeah. safe. Their kids are safe. Um, they're they are safe from <laughs> from people or from violence, and it is just really it was heartwarming. It was really great. And then just a quick um, aside is we are also building what we're calling the Agape Center. And so it's a new center that we're building in the Women's Village. We have a microloan program, so we give women small loans Mm -hmm. so they can develop a business and develop a way um, to feed their own families, but we're also providing them training and support. When they repay that loan, then we have more funds available to loan to other people. And we have 38 women that are doing some really interesting, you know, businesses, small business to raise some funds. And then we, we are moving the clinic there. So the clinic will move from the school to um, this Agape Center in the village. And um, I, we built three rooms on, and I was very surprised that William and his and the builders, in appreciation for what's been done, have built six more rooms on mm-hmm. to that clinic. Um, that's a future thing. Um, yeah. We don't have the funds right now to support that. But in the future, we could have a very nice clinic there, probably a birthing area, um, maybe small surgeries, a laboratory, those kinds of things. Um, so that's you know obviously future planning, but um, we will not only service the women; we'll service the people who have come to our clinic. It's a free clinic. Mm. Um, they come and when we as much as as we have money available for yeah. medicines and things. And there's actually a side gate, so they can come right into the clinic. They don't have to go through the main gates, and they don't have to interact in the village. So anyway, it's just um, William and his team have done some really smart, yeah, um, great things and that it couldn't have turned out better. I mean, I just really, truly don't know how it could have turned out better. Mm. Um, We have been offered by the mayor of the town 
a large parcel of land across the street, mm-hmm. uh, across the main road there, uh, probably three to four times the size of our current village. If we will develop a market area and future homes, uh, we have five years to come up with the funds for that. We don't have the funds. I mean, real honestly, um, it's going to take about a hundred thousand dollars to develop this market area, uh, and we don't have that. You know mm-hmm. that we don't have those funds, but it's a future dream, and he'll offer us those land. Our village is a little bit far out in the in, uh, from the kind of the main town. And so it's starting to develop in that area, but they need a market area so the women and people in the area can go to buy, you know, yeah. fish and rice and beans yes. and those things and sell their wares instead of having to go all the way into town and so forth. So um, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Um, but w- w- he has been very supportive of our efforts. We we would typically have to pay taxes per home, and they've waived the taxes because mm-hmm. um, a per home kind of tax for. Um, because we are serving, you know, some of the most difficult um, families that, you know, just living conditions. Right. Um, there is a mudflat area in in um, in the city called Ansagale, and that mudflat area is free for people to live, but it floods and it's ugly. I mean, just a typical rain or even tides, that kind of stuff. It's just a mud fest down there. Well, that land's free to the people because it's terrible to live right. there. Well, a lot of these women are coming out of, they call it the Celine. So a lot of these women are coming out of these awful mudflat homes with mm. just ramshackle put together things, moving into a concrete block home with running water in yeah. the home. I mean, you just think about the life-changing difference that's made for those women. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, it's been it's been just really neat to, to see it come forward. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just listening, you know, to that story, thinking all the way back to the conversations you had with your pastor at your church. Right. And then him saying, hey, I think this needs to become a nonprofit. And then to see how the movement of God has just opened up doors and given you opportunities to to step in and build relationships. Right. And, and really, you know, to work alongside shoulder to shoulder with people. That's what I love about Haiti Alive is – the dignity hmm. that is such a part of the fabric of the organization, uh, the image of God within the people hmm. um, that is recognized, and then, hey, what does it look like for us to partner together right. to make change instead of us bringing our toolbox on a plane somewhere? It's, hey, what's we're catching up on the conversation that God's having with these people, and we're seeking to come alongside of them and work shoulder to shoulder. I think it's really beautiful. Well, and I, you know, I've said this a lot, but I just feel like God put me in the right place, yeah. and um, I've just the the one thing I've done well is I've at least said yes um, <laughs> yeah. when I could have said no, and and we've we have done this ministry has grown because of good partners i mean invitation mm-hmm. church has become just an outstanding partner we get a monthly you know check plus a lot of people in the church support us and so your leadership for that has really made a difference and so we can't do this ministry without without financial support i mean it just yeah. we can't and so mm-hmm. um our ministry has grown when we have had funds available i mean we we didn't build the school to we had funds available we just you know we didn't we we do add different things um as we've had available like we started a Christmas program. It started out very small. Last year, we did 1,100 kids who showed up for Christmas for a you know a, a party and a meal and a, a, day, a small toy, a day of fun. We do feeding programs when we're available, when we have the funds available for that. And so it's just one of those things is we're, we're not a large nonprofit, even though I feel like we've done some good things. Um, William actually said that the Women's Village is the largest project on Laganov um, and the entire island. Um, 
but that happened because of other people. I mm-hmm. mean, um, we it didn't happen because of me. It happened because of other people who are who've who've understood the need to support people in a different place and care for and love people. And so, um, you know, it's just it, it, it's been it's been amazing to see it grow. Um, I will say the thing that keeps me up at nights is how do we maintain all those yeah. things that we've continued and or we've begun. And so um, that's always been a fear is you build it up to a point and you're like, well, we got to maintain that. We got to maintain the clinic. We have to we have to pay the teachers at the school. We have to continue to maintain the women's village and, and buy medicine, all those things. And so there's always that ongoing need. Um, that's no different than any church or nonprofit that right. sets that ongoing need. That's that's always important. Yeah. 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 One of the things that we've talked about kind of as we wrap things up is how far a dollar can go in Haiti. Right. Um, And when we talk about building a school in the United States, building a clinic in the United States, I mean, we're talking about millions upon millions and upon millions of dollars. And so I think people have, you know, all kinds of things that they could give to, Absolutely. you know, all kinds of wonderful organizations that are doing meaningful work, both locally, nationally, globally. Uh, but I'd love to just kind of end our time. If you could just kind of paint a picture uh, for the number one, the financial need, and then, you know, what the opportunities would be. Uh, for people to come on board and to support. They might be listening to this on the treadmill or walking the dog (laughs) around the block or whatever it is, and they might have heard your story and what's going on in Haiti and like, man, I I can't give $100,000, but I would love to um, be a part of what God is unfolding among these people in Haiti. And so maybe just to talk a little bit about what the what the options would be. How could people uh, jump on board? Well, first of all, I want to say that we have no paid staff. And so if you give a gift, that money goes directly into our ministry. And so um, I don't know how to hunt and fish, and so this is what <laughs> I do for fun. Um, but you're right. Money goes so much farther. They're like $50 feeds the kids for a day. So we feed all of those kids and the staff for $50 a day. With 200 uh, kids. Two, over 200 yeah. kids plus the staff. We're probably feeding 250 people, 225 to 250 people. $50 feeds all those people. $100 provides a week of medicine for our clinic. Um, and so that goes a long ways. I mean, yes. $100 for all the people who are coming to our clinic for a week. Um, $125, $150 provides a scholarship for a student. So we, we buy them a uniform, give them a uniform, we feed them every day, give them a year of education. So for $12.50 a month, for $150 a year, you can sponsor a student. Mm-hmm. Now, there are people who have more resources. Uh, our homes are $11,500. Like you said, in the in the United States, that would be a probably fifty to $75,000 bill. It's it's $11,000 yeah. there to, to provide a home. Um, and so we, and, and any increment up to that. And so if you want to contribute towards feeding or if you want to contribute, you know, towards um, the school, we We'll, we'll use those funds well. I mean, we we have a we have a board here in the United States that that oversees those things. We have a board in Haiti, so I can guarantee your your money's accounted for mm-hmm. and cared for. Um, but it goes also directly into the ministry. Um, there there's many ways that people can support us, and I just. Uh, I, I all my, my kind of my phrase right now and, and I, I have the book in my latest book is do good somewhere. Um, if you feel called to do good here in Sioux Falls or in wherever you're living, do it you know, mm-hmm. do good somewhere. Um, but I also hope there are enough people to understand that that we have um, 
we have a ministry that's a viable ministry that's doing good things, and if and we need your financial support yeah. to make sure that we can continue to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's wonderful. I think what's so great about the the ministry model here is, hey, no matter what you're able to give, there's an opportunity for you to to come on board. And so if you, you know, you're a parent with young kids and you're talking to them about what's it mean to be generous, right? Right. There's an opportunity, you know, for kids to be helping kids, you know, with absolutely with, with the ADLF. Christmas program and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I've written a book called It's Not My Problem or Is It from Nudge to Nonprofit. It's available on Amazon. It's kind of a history, kind of goes through some of the things that we've talked about today, but I donate all those things. I donate all the profits that I get. You can find it on Amazon or um, HadiAlive.org. Um, but the other thing I would say is we also need connections. And so if mm-hmm. you have a, a church or a, or a group or someplace that you think might be interested in hearing the story of Haiti Alive, please contact me. And mm-hmm. because the more we get connected to people and get the story out there, the more people that we can help. And so um, you can go to HadiAlive.org. It has all the contact information. You can give there. Um, you can give through Venmo, through PayPal, through good old checks. We still take those to cash. <laughs> um, but you're right. Right. There, there are many levels of help, and and do good somewhere. Feel where you feel called, but just know that we have a, a people that we know and we care and love, and that we're we're trying to continue to serve them and and help them in the ways that we find most appropriate. Yeah, that's great. So if people want to learn more, HadiAlive.org, and then also Facebook and Instagram at HadiAlive. Yeah, and, and I'm much better about updating Facebook and Instagram than our website. So if you want to kind of see current projects, yep. you know, find us on 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 uh, Facebook and on Instagram. Uh, that's where I post. Well, I put, posted a bunch of pictures from my last trip. I've written a couple blog posts that you can kind of read about my trip and so forth. So all that's on Facebook and Instagram. Best place to connect with us there. Awesome, Bruce. Thanks for this. Thanks for spending time together just talking about what God's up to and how it can be a part of it. Yeah, thank you, Dave. You've been very supportive. Appreciate it. Awesome.